Good evening, church. I realize that I'm in a predicament tonight. We have grandparents and parents here looking forward to the joy of seeing their little ones perform. And most importantly, in a Baptist church, there's great smells of um, feasting behind those doors. So prayerfully, we will make it through here tonight and uh, receive a blessing from the Lord. Before we kick, kick things off, though, I would like for us to light the fourth candle of Advent. As we light the first candle, which was the prophet's candle, representing the hope, and I blew it out, the hope of the birth of the greater Davidic king. The second candle we light was, of course, the Bethlehem candle, as it represented the faith of Joseph and Mary as they prepared for the birth of the Son of God. And then our third candle we lit last week was the shepherd's candle as we looked to the joy that they had receiving the news of the upcoming birth of the birth. And tonight we light the candle of the angels, which represents the peace that they brought from the message that they gave representing uh, seeing to the birth of the Prince of Peace. So before we get started, let us pray. Father God, we come before you tonight, Lord, to worship you, Lord, and only you, God, in this message and this devotion, Lord. We pray that it is a blessing to the ears that hear, Lord, that it, that it encourages, that it uplifts and, and provides peace to those in the room that have Christ. And Lord, to the man or woman without Christ, Lord, I pray that your conviction, the weight of that conviction, conviction will crush them. Crush them into looking to You, Lord, for seeking You and salvation, Lord. Don't let one leave this room tonight without that assurance of the salvation and the peace that can only come from Christ at this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, so tonight's devotion, Mr. J.C. Ryle, much of his thoughts will be brought out from his Christmas Thoughts book that we've been studying. And I, I kind of pulled... a quote from his book to title the devotion, and the title of the devotion is, A Christmas Without Christ, It Cannot Be a Well-Spent One. And so, if you have your swords tonight, sword of the Spirit, that is, I encourage you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and the main focus verse for tonight will be Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. And so while you're turning there, I'm going to offer a little bit of context on the passage. And the broader context is I want to focus on Ephesus, the city of Ephesus first and foremost. So for Bible scholars in the room tonight, we would understand that the city of Ephesus was one of the top five largest cities in the ancient Western culture. Uh, it was it had a seaport on one side, 
And it had some of the richest soil in Asia Minor on the other side. And so this made for great opportunities for fishing, agriculture, and it made this city a great city of trade. Uh, Also, the city is known as the city made of marble. In the city of Ephesus, we have a diverse population where it is still governed by Rome. Therefore, we have Romans there. We have Jews, we have Greeks, and then we also have other Gentiles. Most famously, the city of Ephesus at this time would have been popular for the Temple of Artemis or Diana. And this was a Greek statue that was to believe to have been dropped by the Greek gods here in this area of divine providence. And it was a place of great pilgrimage, great worship. And so we have that going on. And also, as we know with from today's culture, anytime you have a diverse population, you also have a diversity of religions. And so we also have uh, the Temple of Artemis uh, worship there. We have Greek mythology, Roman emperor worship, Judaism, and magic. And so it is in this setting that God chooses to establish the church at Ephesus. And it is established around A.D., late 40s, mid-50s. And we can see evidence of what all the things that are going on in Ephesus in Acts chapter 18. We have Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila arriving in Ephesus. Paul leaves Priscilla and Aquila there to kind of further establish and teach the church. We have Paul early on from the get-go reasoning with Jews in the synagogue. And then eventually later on, so that's kind of Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 21. And then we move forward, Acts 18, 24 through 26, and then Acts 19, 1 through 7, we have Apollos coming to Ephesus. And much of these two sections focuses on a complete, robust teaching on baptism. So uh, a few disciples and Paulos are still practicing John's baptism, which was baptism of repentance in water, but um, Priscilla and Aquila and Paul also instruct these disciples on the more greater fulfillment of Christ's baptism. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10, we see Paul still teaching in the synagogue, and he spends three months trying to labor to reason with the Jews. And then eventually, after these three months, Paul recognizes that some of these Jews are stubborn, and they actually begin speaking evil of the way, which is Christianity. So due to this, Paul withdraws. He takes his disciples to the hall of Tyrannius. And for two years in Ephesus, the entire region hears of the word of the Lord. Flash forward a bit, and at this same time in, in Scripture, Acts chapter 19, 11 through 20, we have the situation where the sons of Sceva try to practice Christianity, although being of the Jew- Jewish faith. And we have a, a really wild incident I encourage you to look up. But a result of that incident, we see people that practiced magic bring all their art books and destroy them and burn them in front of the public eye. Verse 20, I thought, was a great kind of 
summarization of the book of Acts and as our pastor has spent the last year preaching, but verse 20 says from Paul, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Of course, that's Luke writing that. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41, we really get to see the influence that Christianity is starting to really bring forth on the town in Ephesus. We have a silversmith named Demetrius who his wealth is coming from uh, making statues of Artemis, and he causes an uprising. As we might look on our news today, it would be a peaceful protest. Um, but we see that the heart of Christianity is growing in this area, and it starts to affect those that are practicing a false religion, not only their pocketbooks, but their religion as well. And so what? why do I explain all these things? I explain all this because I want us to understand why Paul is, you know, what, what's going on at the time God has chosen to start the church at Ephesus. And some of this comes for why Paul writes the book of Ephesians. So most importantly from that, recognize that Christianity at this time is marginalized and it's not accepted, according to the culture. So that moves us into Ephesians. Paul is writing Ephesians from how he writes Ephesians from Roman house arrest between AD 60 to 62. And it's written possibly as a circulatory letter that is not only used by the church at Ephesus, but used among various churches there in Asia Minor. And so much of Ephesus, the first portion, is based on doctrine, sound doctrine. And if you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, one of the main emphases of, emphasis of Paul teaching Timothy is teach sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. You know, our modern churches today would say doctrine divides. Yes, it does, and praise God for it. Because sound doctrine divides truth from lie. And when a church is in a setting that is being pounded from every side, if they don't have sound doctrine, they will fail. And that is one of the great needs of all churches. And for, for you know, for unfortunately, many of our churches waver to and fro because of the lack of sound doctrine. So if you look at chapter 1, we see Paul starting the chapter off with a greeting to the saints who are in Ephesus. And then kind of the second passage, second uh, section there, we see verses 3 through 14. My Bible titles that section, Spiritual Blessings in Christ. And if you want kind of a Reformed Theology 101, that section's one of the most robust sections in Scripture to go to, as it deals with the doctrine of predestination, unconditional election, justification, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, sanctification, perseverance of the saints, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, by grace alone and for the glory of God alone. And so we move into the next section where you see a thanksgiving and prayer offered by Paul for the church. 
And then finally we get to chapter 2 of our passage for tonight and what this doctrine or what this devotion is mainly centered on. And if you will, follow along with me as I read. I will read the chapter and then we'll briefly discuss it and then we'll close in prayer for tonight. Ephesians chapter 2. The Word of the Lord reads, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. So here, just kind of a brief summary of the section. Paul encourages his audience to reflect on the bad news being dead in trespasses and sin, like the rest of mankind, separated from Christ, with no hope, 
hostile, far off. And so the question arises, why study these hard truths when the devotion is built on the peace of Christ at Christmas? Well, John Calvin writes, we never become duly sensible of our obligations to Christ, nor estimate aright His kindness towards us, till we have been led to view on the other side the unhappy condition in which we formerly were without Christ. And so as we look at this message tonight, we've laid out the culture that the church of Ephesus is placed in. And we see Paul not writing to the church of Ephesus and saying, pointing the finger in judgment at, look at these crazies over here practicing all the immorality at the temple of Artemis. Look at these stubborn Jews here rejecting the Messiah. Look at the people practicing black magic. That's not what Paul points to. Paul points inward and says, don't be, don't be arrogant. Remember yourself. You were just like them. Without Christ, we're nothing. And so we come to the portion of what J.C. Ryle in his Christmas Thoughts book pours into this section. And he really does a great job of kind of giving us a brief overview of three types of people that exist without Christ. And so as I discuss these, I encourage you to think back to who you were without Christ. And if you stand here tonight without Christ, I pray you have no peace this Christmas until you do come to the Lord for salvation. And so the three types of people that J.C. Ryle discusses here, the three types without Christ. One, the ignorant heathens. These are the ones that are the worshipers of the idols of the day. Two, the self-righteous. This would be the scholar. And this is an area that I always tread lightly on because we have been blessed to be brought by the Lord to reform theology and all the wonderful doctrines that we're able to study of all the wonderful writers of Puritans, reformers, and all these things. And God has graciously opened our minds to these truths. But the self-righteous man, as described by J.C. Ryle, is the scholar without a heart faith. So it's the man that has all the knowledge in the world, all the theology, but no change of heart. Still has that cold, broken, bitter, angry, judgmental heart that has not been turned anew. And I tell you tonight, I'm so grateful to have conversations with all of you on these books that we study and the theology and all these great things. But brother, sister, if you have not had that change of heart that the Scripture speaks of, that heart to be softened and be given a new heart of Christ, it does, none of the theology is going to save you and cannot present a peace at this time. The third type of man that we see in J.C. Ryle's book would be the ungodly. So this would be probably more along the lines of the antinomial, antinomial individual, 
those that can read the scripture can know the law, but you know, everything is grace and I don't need to follow any of the laws because all I've got is Jesus and it's so precious to me and forget all the laws because I don't need those. And so the ungodly person described by J.C. Ryle would be those that are disobedient and their entire life reveals no work or fruit birthed from the Holy Spirit in their lives. So I can attend church all day long every Sunday, anytime the door's opened, and leave here, and as the proper saying goes in many churches, sanctified on Sunday, live like hell on Monday. That's that type of individual. There's been no change in heart. And so then J.C. Ryle moves forward and describes the actual condition of a man without Christ. He says a man without Christ is without God. God's mercy is inseparably connected with the mediation of His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Ryle says God without a Christ is a consuming fire. The condition of a man without Christ is without peace. There's only one thing that can give peace to the conscience. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled on it. We have peace through the blood of His cross, a peace like a deep mine, a peace like an overflowing stream. A man without Christ is without hope. There is but one hope that has roots, life, strength, solidity. And that is the hope which is built on the great rock of Christ's work and office as man's Redeemer. And lastly, a man without Christ is a man without heaven. For there's no entrance. And even if there were an entrance, a man could not stand in the glory of the Lord. His shame and his guilt would leave him in complete brokenness. So some applications that can be pulled from the devotion tonight. As I've mentioned a few times already, a call to salvation to the poor man, to the poor woman that is without Christ. To those that have Christ, blessed are you. And the application for you tonight to walk away from is take some time during this Christmas season, with family abounding all over, with all the distractions that the world seems to offer during this time, take some time to reflect and not to get into, you know, a, a great sense of piety, but, but take the time. It's good. The Lord took time to break away from the world to go up on the mountain to pray. And I believe that's a, an example for us. So take the time to reflect on your life and look at your life without Christ and meditate on the glorious truths that Christ has offered you and look at His providence in your life from the time you were without Him to this time that He has brought you up in His sanctification.
And lastly, a message that's all dear to all of our hearts. Pray for your families and neighbors that are without Christ. The Christmas season is about Christ's birth. As we look back on the birth of the Savior, it's one of the greatest opportunities of the year to be able to share the richness of Christ with family. Why do we celebrate Christmas? And the opportunity arises. So pray for your family. And if, Lord, if the Lord affords you the opportunity, share His message. So let us pray. Lord, we thank You for this time together in this devotion, Lord, that we've got to see just a glimpse of what it's like to be an individual without You. As we reflect back at one time, we were all without You, God. We were all under the wrath of the Lord. We were all bound for eternity without You in condemnation, in hell. And God, but by Your great mercy and love, You sent Your Son. And it is this time of year that we celebrate, we reflect, we honor that birth of the incarnate God brought into the world to suffer and die on a cross. but escape the pangs of death and bring forth a new life for those that you called before the foundation of the earth. God, we thank you for the life that you've given us and we thank you for this time that you've brought us near. Lord, we ask that you'll bless the rest of this night, Lord, that it glorifies you and that I pray that each one in the sanctuary tonight receives much encouragement and joy and peace that comes from being a man and a woman with Christ. It's in Christ's great, holy, and powerful name I pray. Amen.